Lord God, in this season of waiting, we thank you that you have gathered us together as your people, that here, now, we have an opportunity to come before your word, to be reminded of the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that you give us in Christ Jesus. So give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to begin uh, this message by just asking a pretty simple question. How many of you have a ruler at home? Maybe one that looks a little something like this? Okay, good. How many of you have no idea what this is that I'm holding? Okay, okay. Good, I'm glad to know these are still in use. How many of you can remember the last time you used one of these? few of you, okay, all right. Yeah, see, growing up, uh, the basic, um, you know, uh, elementary school ruler, this was just standard, right, for, for my kit for school. This was one of those supply items that I had to have every year. We did end up buying one uh, every year because these make awesome lightsabers, or at least I thought so. I was often bring, breaking mine. Um, but, uh, but we had a bunch of these. We still have a ton of these sitting around our house. And uh, I remember the very first uh, lesson in measurement that I got from my dad as I was working on projects for school or helping him with projects around the house. First lesson was measure twice but cut once. And the reason why is because once you make that cut, you are stuck with whatever you've got. And so you want to make sure that you have it right, that it's accurate. And the more complicated, more difficult the project was, the more certain you had to be that you'd made your measurements correctly. The more you wanted to be absolutely sure you had a good standard of measurement, one that didn't change, one that you could count on and rely on. That's why the ruler was so important. And the reason I'm I'm thinking a little bit about rulers this morning is because I think the same could be said in life. But the more difficult and complicated and challenging life becomes, the more we long to have some sort of standard something that's reliable, something that we can count on to help us navigate life when life gets messy, when it gets complicated, when it gets difficult. And I think for many people, one of the things that often brings us comfort in the midst of difficult circumstances, one of those things that we feel we can rely on is the holidays. Because no matter how crazy life becomes, no matter how challenging the year was, at least the holidays kind of provide this moment of calm in the midst of the storm. There are certain things that we love to do at holiday times. We love going to, you know, family members' homes or cooking that favorite holiday meal, or, or celebrating those certain traditions, or watching those movies, or whatever your, your family tradition is, I'm, I'm sure that we all have things that we look forward to, because they bring comfort when the rest of the year really just wasn't that great. Until you get to a year like 2020, where we can't even do that. Where we can't even celebrate the ways that we're used to celebrating, where we can't even be gathered together with the people that we're used to gathering together with. And it feels like suddenly that that standard, that thing that we were counting on to give us a sense of peace in the midst of the craziness is gone, and now we're grasping. And I think that oftentimes, you know, we, we treat Christmas this way as well. When Christmas time comes around, we kind of look at Christmas, well, 
we look at Christmas a little like this, right? You know, we have our decorations set up. We light our candles. You know, we put our garlands around. We have our lights and our ornaments. We, we set up the manger scene, right? And, and here we have, you know, Mary and, and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And, and we look at them and we're just like, yeah, see, that's, that's Christmas, right? That's the way Christmas is supposed to be. This beautiful, calm, quiet, serene, silent night where everything was peaceful. And it just gives us kind of that sense of comfort. But if that's what we think Christmas is, if that's what we're, we're counting on Christmas to be, I have to wonder if we really understand the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story, although yes, it is certainly beautiful, it was anything but quiet and calm and peaceful. Especially for the people who were a part of that first Christmas story. I mean, let's think about the two people who probably play one of the, the biggest roles in the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph, I'm sure, had certain plans, certain plans for their lives, certain things that they were counting on to kind of see them through. I'm sure that they were looking forward to their wedding day, to having a big celebration with their community, with their relatives, with their neighbors and friends. I'm sure they were looking forward to having their first child and, and raising their kids and building a family together. All seemed right in the world until an angel shows up and tells Mary that she's going to have a baby. Suddenly their plans and their expectations are totally turned on their heads. I mean, think about it for a moment. This announcement from the angel Gabriel came to Mary before her wedding day. Which means that she is now a young, unwed teenage mother in an ancient, Near Eastern, extremely religiously conservative society. What that meant was, is that she, once her condition became known, once it was known that she was pregnant, she would have been seen as a social outcast at best, and could have been killed and executed by her own family at worst. Because again, in that ancient, Near Eastern, extremely religious society, Women don't get pregnant outside of wedlock. And if they do, it's seen as not only incredibly shameful for the family, but it's seen as an offense toward God. And so she could have been executed by her family members and friends. Certainly, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that wasn't a part of her plan when she thought about motherhood and the birth of her first child. But think about Joseph for a moment, this guy who's been working to prepare his household, this guy who's been waiting for the day that he could marry Mary and bring her home and that they could start a family together. And now suddenly he learns that she's pregnant before the wedding day and he knows that he didn't have anything to do with it. How is he supposed to make sense of that? We even learned that before the angel Gabriel shows up that, that Joseph was trying to find ways to simultaneously honor his religious obligations but also show mercy. He was looking for ways that he could maybe divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't be subject to a public trial. Until the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, it's okay. Know that this child that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But even that, although that would have resolved his tensions about Mary, it didn't make things easier for him. Because if he were to take her now as his wife, the way that would look in the eyes of the society around him is that he has now enabled her sin. That he's just covering for her and for her mistakes. And suddenly now his reputation is tarnished. 
You see, Mary and Joseph, they had their own plans. Until those plans were upended. Until they were turned on their head. You, have to see, you see, the, the very first Christmas was anything but neat and tidy. It was incredibly messy. It was incredibly uncomfortable. So the question is, where did Mary and Joseph turn when all of life seemed to dissolve into chaos? Where did Mary and Joseph look in order to find peace and joy and hope in the midst of everything else falling apart? Well, we find the answer in Luke chapter 1, where we learn that Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And when she gets to Elizabeth's, and the the reason she goes to Elizabeth's home is because she'd been told to by the angel. The angel said, you know, your cousin Elizabeth, this will be a sign for you, your cousin Elizabeth, who couldn't have children, is now pregnant with her first. And so Mary goes to see if this is true. And when she gets there, not only does she find that Elizabeth is in fact pregnant, but listen to what Elizabeth says. That the moment Mary greets her, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. See, Elizabeth, although she was excited that that she had finally uh, been able to conceive a child, was still wondering, uh, could this be from God? What, what, What could this all mean? And suddenly, Mary shows up. And Elizabeth realizes in that moment that God's promises to her have been fulfilled. But more than that, looking at Mary now and filled with the Holy Spirit, she says, and now God's promises to you, Mary, are being fulfilled. See, what's so beautiful is Mary, who is now a social outcast, goes to meet her older cousin who was a social outcast as a barren woman. And these two social outcasts, by God's mercy and grace, now have children and together they turn to the promises of God and that brings joy, that brings hope, that brings peace in the midst of the chaos because they realize God is up to something. Elizabeth speaks of God's promises. And in that moment, Mary herself breaks out in joy. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She then goes on to talk about how how God's mercy extends to those who fear him. How he brings down rulers from their thrones but exalts the humble. How he fills the hungry with good things. And then at the very end of her song, she speaks these words. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. You see, where Mary looks in order to find hope amidst the chaos, is she looks to the promises of God. Because she realizes in that moment, as she thinks about all the Old Testament stories that she's been raised listening to as a girl, that over and over again, when life falls apart, when our plans fly out the window, God's plans remain firm. 
that when God makes promises, he keeps them. She goes all the way back to Abraham, the the forefather of their faith, their ancestor, the one who himself received promises of God when his own hopes seemed to have been dashed. You see, upon hearing the announcement of the angel, Mary begins to ponder, how how could these things be? And and how can I know that this is true? But she remembers that God is a God who is faithful to his promises. She remembers Abraham, how Abraham and Sarah were social outcasts who couldn't have children of their own. And suddenly God says, not only am I going to give you a child, but I am going to make you into a great nation. And your descendants will be more numerous than even the stars in the heavens. And through you, all nations will be blessed. And Mary suddenly realizes in this moment that that same God who made promises to Abraham has now made promises to her. That she is a part of that story. That through her, all nations will now be blessed through the child that she will bear. And suddenly, she has hope in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of a messy Christmas... Mary realizes that God is a God who makes promises and then who keeps them. And that same God who made promises to Mary, that same God who made promises to Abraham and Sarah, is the same God who makes promises to you and to me. This Christmas, When everything else seems to have fallen apart, God is still a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. So what are some of the promises that he's made to us? This year, I have been thinking a lot about Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, I think we get one of the most beautiful descriptions of the promises that God makes to us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to what Paul is saying there. here's, Here's what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, God has promised that you will never face death. God has promised that you will never face an uncertain future. God has promised that you will never face angels or demons, that you'll never face any powers or rulers, you'll never face any depths. But don't worry. No, Paul doesn't say that. He says when you face these things, nothing will be able to separate you from God's love. He says when you face death, when you face an uncertain future, When you face angels and demons, when you face rulers, when you face oppression, when you face difficulties, when your plans fly out the window and the whole world seems to fall apart, know this, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. He says, no matter what happens, there is nothing in all creation that could ever separate you from God's love. His promise is that in Christ Jesus, God's love will always be there to carry us through, even in the midst of uncertain times. 
In the midst of the mess, God's love will see us through. That's not the only promise that God makes to us. Because one of the other beautiful promises that we love to reflect on during the Advent season is the promise that he will come again in glory. See, Advent is looking back to the first Christmas. The reason why we look back to the first Christmas is because we're reminded there in that event who our God is. That our God is not an aloof God. That our God doesn't socially distance his people. But rather, when the world is falling apart in darkness and in death, God leaves his throne in heaven and comes down here and is born as one of us. He lived among us. He walked with us. He suffered alongside us. He healed us. And he ultimately died for us and rose again so that we could know that there is life beyond death. That we could see demonstrated in time and in space and in history the lengths to which God's love is willing to go for his people. But it gets better than that. Because one of the things that Jesus promises is he says, just as I came once, so I will come again. And on that day, I will wipe every tear from your eyes. And there will be no more death or crying or mourning or pain. For the old order of things will pass away and behold, the new has come. Behold, I am making all things You see, in that promise, what God is saying is he's saying these dark days won't last. That in the grand scheme of things, these are nothing more than a moment. Because although the world may look like it's falling apart, my purposes and my plans will not be thwarted, for I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. We live between the two great advents of Jesus, between the first Christmas and the last Christmas, between the first Christmas when he came to bring us light and life, grace and truth, and the last Christmas when he will come to make everything new. And because of that, we have hope. Not just hope for ourselves, but hope that we can give to others. We recognize that we're a part of a much bigger story. And as people who have that hope, we serve as ambassadors of that hope wherever he sends us because we are a part of the new thing that God is doing in Jesus. We have the honor and the privilege in the midst of a broken and messy world to proclaim good news. With the angels and the shepherds, Mary and Joseph and the wise men to speak of the hope that we have in the one who came and who will come again in glory. We get to remind people that yes, though the days are dark, darkness will not last. That yes, while our plans may be falling apart, God's plans are firm because not only does he make promises, he keeps them. We know this because of what we've seen in Jesus. The one who is himself, Emmanuel, God with us. The one whose love will carry us through every season. And the one who ultimately will come again to remake everything. And so fear not. Don't be discouraged. For Christ the Lord 
is with us. In the midst of a messy Christmas, God is making all things new. And it's with that in mind, I think it's only right that we begin this Advent season in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you are indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And that your love will never leave us or forsake us, but rather you give us a hope. A hope that surpasses all understanding. And because of that, we know that we not only have hope, but we have peace, joy. And it's all because of the love that you give us in Christ Jesus. Lord, this Advent season, we pray that you would help us to be your ambassadors. Bringing hope and light into a dark world. Reminding people that in the midst of the mess, you are still moving. Lord, we do pray that that hope would overflow as we share with the world the good news that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that you have come and you will come again in glory. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.